All right, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great. We are coming around like third base to finalize and finish up our series that we've been in since August, where we have gone literally through every verse and every chapter of this amazing and amazingly relevant letter that Paul wrote to a church at Corinth. It's called 1 Corinthians, and again, just excited to kind of wrap this up, but we've got a couple more weeks of it. But what we saw last week is Paul takes us from out of the worship war stuff and the worship speaking in tongues, all this stuff going on in in worship in the Corinthian church of chapters 12, 13, and 14, and then he moves us to the gospel of Christ crucified, buried, and raised, and this week we begin a a very heavy or a, a very strong emphasis on the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that's been attested to by eyewitness accounts, biography records, the the resurrection of Christ from the dead that's the center of the Christian faith and that really makes the Christian faith powerful, viable, uh, and, and something that we believe in and stand upon. So to understand what Paul's trying to do in terms of application for the Corinthian church and for us as well 2,000 years later, we need to ask ourselves a very, very important question. And the question is, how do we define or how do we determine what reality is? You know, you, 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 all of us have a sense of reality. All of us have awareness. All of us also uh, have blinders on or have biases. All of us all, all also have a finiteness, right, where we're not all-knowing and, and we're not all, all understanding. We can't comprehend everything. But, but re- defining reality, <coughs> excuse me, determining reality is very, very crucial for us as human beings because that's how we know how to operate and how to live. So let me just share some ways that I think we as people tend to define or determine reality or reality for us. There's our perception, how I see things, how I look at things. If you were here during the Reframe series, we all realized that our perception is not always shaped by reality. It, It could be shaped by opinions and traditions and culture, but we all have a way of looking at things, and that helps us or helps us determine, define reality. We also make assumptions and speculations, don't we? Yeah, with limited information, we, we sort of try to fill in the gaps and read between the lines, right? And, and so a lot of times we'll have uh, an opinion, a thought, we'll take action based on an assumption or a speculation. Feelings are a big part of how we define reality. A lot of us will say, well, I, didn't, I don't feel anything. Well, I didn't sense anything. Or this is the mood I'm in today. So feelings and emotions play a part in it. How we talk to ourselves, how we think, what's going on in between our ears, and sometimes our self-talk or our mindset, we can talk ourselves into a state of worry or fear or distress or discouragement, and that becomes kind of our reality, at least in the moment. And, and then we have authority talk, right? We, we all have a they, and, and when they say something, we tend to take it. We tend to put a lot of weight in what whoever, whatever our they is, we put a lot of weight in what they say, and all of that shapes up and becomes our reality. Now, interestingly, I was reading that counselors talk about a person having a perceived or a felt reality, and then there's reality reality. There's what is real. 
Now, sometimes what you and I perceive is real or feel is real aligns with reality. But there's been other times where we've, where we've had to admit, oh, I got that wrong, or oh, uh, you know, I, I didn't fully understand, or oh, you know, what I, what I thought I saw I didn't really see, or oh, what I felt wasn't based on actual factual truth or fact or objectivity. So we have perceived or felt reality, and then we have reality. And when perceived or felt reality and reality, reality, don't align, we, we tend to do what? We tend to overreact. We might tend to live a lie or, or do something based upon a deception. We, we tend to just look at it from our vantage point, which may not factor in a multitude of perspectives or thoughts or people who might have more accurate or different information than we do. So there's a challenge here in making sure that our perceived or our felt reality aligns with reality. And so into that tension and dynamic, Paul is writing to a group of people in Corinth that at least sort of are doubting the resurrection. And so he is emphatic about something as he begins to, to drive this point home in verse 20 of chapter 15. He goes, but as it is, here's truth, here's reality. Christ has been raised from the dead. Fact. It's not based on a feeling, not based on a personal experience. It is a fact, a miraculous, supernatural, yet historical fact. And the, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This means there's more to come. This means the raising of Christ from the dead will also is the path that you and I, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are upon, that there's more to come. There are more who will be raised from the dead. Believers, Christ followers, born again, folks who have given Jesus their sins and the still one of their lives that have fallen asleep or died before Jesus comes back. They're, Jesus was the first fruits. They're also going to be resurrected. That's how important this reality is. That's how important the reality of the resurrection is. And so what Paul would, be, would say to us who live in perceived and felt reality versus reality, reality, Paul would say to us, reality for the Christ follower has to ultimately be defined by Jesus' resurrection. It's not based on moodiness or emotion, it's objective, it's factual. I would say like it's historical, it happened. It, so reality is based upon that. It's transcendent, it's overcoming. This reality trumps what I might call lesser or temporary realities. And it's directional. It sets the path forward that this reality is the first fruits of a reality that I will eventually experience, you will eventually experience if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So we take this and we apply it to what we talked about. So we all have a felt or a perceived reality. And what Paul wants to help the Corinthians do, and I, and I want us prayerfully to help, for God to help us do, is to not just live, is to go from felt or perceived reality and to align that with resurrection reality. That what I'm feeling in the moment, what I'm sensing in the moment, what I'm perceiving in the moment, how I'm looking at things in the moment, how I'm looking at myself, how I'm looking at the world, how I'm looking at my relationships, how I'm looking at other people, that I would take that and put it inside the empty tomb of Jesus and allow resurrection reality 
to inform, shape, influence, impact my current felt or perceived reality. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to do. All of us walked in here with a perceived or a felt reality about ourselves, about a situation we're dealing with, about something going on in our jobs, our homes, our families, something going on in our bodies. And, but it's, it's, it's our reality. It's our felt or our perceived reality. It's our assumption. It's our thoughts, our opinion. It's our emotions. It's all those things that determine how we're experiencing or understanding reality. Would you just put that on the table right now, proverbially? Would you just get that out and say, God, here's how I'm sensing my marriage. God, here's how I'm sensing who I am. God, here's how I'm sensing my job, my purpose. God, I'm dealing with cancer. God, I'm not sure if my marriage is going to make it. And this reality is what I'm dealing with. And I have all these perceptions, assumptions, speculations, maybe opinions, emotions about it. But I'm just putting it on the table before you. And then what we're praying for right now is that all of us, whatever this perceived is, we would bring it and align it with resurrection reality. I'm not doubting the power of the perception you're dealing with. I'm not doubting the emotions you feel. Those are valid. God knows about them. Don't hide them. Let's put them on the table and say, Holy Spirit, right now as we get into the Word of God, could I align my perceived, my felt reality with your resurrection reality? And we begin in verse 21. For since death came through a man, he's talking about, Adam, that Adam and Eve were not supposed to die, but they violated God's command, so death entered creation, death entered humanity. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. So the redemption of that, the trans, the, what's going to overcome this death is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's the first roots, remember? For just as in Adam, key phrase, all die, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. So when you and I are born, we're born in Adam, so we will die. When we are born again by putting our faith and trust, confidence and hope in the steering wheel of our lives in Jesus or give that to Jesus, we are transferred out of Adam into Christ. And, we're, and so we are now going to be, he's the first fruits, but we also will become or be made alive. But each of us in his own order, Christ the first fruits, Christ goes first, Christ went first, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so what we're going to come up with today, church, is three categories or descriptions or understanding of what resurrection reality is, what it means, so we can align our current, our perceived, our felt reality with resurrection reality. And the first truth that we get from Paul is this. The resurrection reality of being in Christ and no longer in Adam. So something has changed drastically from how you and I were born, born in Adam. Now, some of us, some of you listen, you may still be in Adam, and the Holy Spirit may clarify something in just a few minutes, so let's lean into this, right? But we are transferred out of our in Adam condition by the resurrection to a condition of being in Christ, and this reality of being in Christ trumps, transcends, overcomes, overtakes the condition of being in Adam. So it looks like this. In Adam, all die. In Adam, we are destined to spend eternity apart from God. In Adam, we are in rebellion. In Adam, we are traitors to a holy God. In Adam, we are not living our purpose. In Adam, we have malfunctioned. In Adam, we are enslaved. In Adam, we are objects of the wrath of God. 
But God did something, right? He sent Christ to die in our place instead of us to crush, defeat, destroy the curse of being in Adam, to destroy, defeat Satan who deceives us, to destroy us, to keep us in Adam. And by, when we go by faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, our faith connects us, tra transforms us, and places us now in Christ. And so what is true of Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection is now true of those of us who are in Christ. I'll ask you right now, if you had to put yourself somewhere on this drawing, where would you say you are? Some of you might say, Matt, I, I, I know that Jesus has me and I have surrendered to him. He's my friend, but he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my prize. He's my portion. Some of us may say, you know, Matt, I, I, I'm over here. It's dark and, and, and my destiny is uncertain and, and where I'm at feels like I'm enslaved and I'm, I, I know I'm in rebellion against God. Some of you are like, you know, you're kind of kicking the tires and maybe moving across here. But you have an opportunity today to greatly to understand more of what it means to be in Christ. And by faith, you too can put your faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work he did for you on the cross, and become in Christ. And really, we go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, which started it all. And look at the language. It is from him, what God did. Jesus did something. It's a gift from him that you are in Christ. See it? You are in Christ. From him, from the cross, from his work, from Christ crucified, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast in Christ, what Christ has done, Christ has given, Christ has achieved, Christ has accomplished. He's the first fruits, and we're in him. And, and so just in case we don't fully realize the incredible reality of being in Christ, the stupendous, magnificent reality of what it means to be in Christ and what it means to align our reality with this, I'm going to share some verses. And, and what, what I'm praying for, been praying for this today what, for us as a church, what, what I'm praying for is I think a lot of us are going to realize we might have an in-Adam mindset, an in-Adam perspective, an in-Adam outlook, an in-Adam attitude, an in-Adam uh, you know, view of things, an in-Adam perspective, and that God that right now through the Holy Spirit would remind us of what it means or give us understanding of what it means to have an in Christ mindset attitude, a, a reality dominated by what it means to be in Christ and not held back by a felt reality, perceived reality of Adam. So here we go. Okay, let's, let's look at some of these. So in Ephesians 1.4, it says we are chosen. It says, for he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. I think a lot of us here would say we understand what it means, the felt reality of being rejected, the felt reality of feeling like we're not accepted or not acceptable. That's in Adam. In Christ, we can, we could be chosen by him. Ephesians 1.7, it says this, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption and forgiveness. In him we are forgiven and justified. 
See, some of us may be living in a felt or perceived reality that we're not good enough, that, that we've got too many skeletons in the closet that God couldn't love, use, adopt, save someone like us. Some of us are living in Adam and guilt and shame. Would you hear to understand and surrender to the resurrection reality that in him we are redeemed, in him we are forgiven, in him we are justified by the resurrection's accomplishment? Romans 8, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Inseparable love. How many of us have wasted tears and experienced trauma pursuing earthly, conditional, temporary love? How many of us, all of us have this longing to have sure love, steadfast love, dependable love? We have that love in Christ. You could be living in a felt reality of, of going after or looking for love in all the wrong places or, or going after love that is fleeting, that is fragile, and ultimately will be frustrating. Or we can rest in Christ that our love and his love for us is inseparable. Therefore, if anyone is, here's our phrase, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. That in Christ we are a new creation. How many of us are living in the felt reality that we don't know who we are? Or who we are feels not good enough. Or who we are feels vulnerable. And we're just having to hold on and fight because maybe we believe the lie that we are what we do or we are what those people said about us or we are what we own or have possession of instead of in Christ resurrection reality, I am who he says I am, and I am a new creation. How about this one? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need supplied by Christ. Some of us feel the reality of worry. Some of us, our felt reality is not one of provision and abundance, but of scarcity and victimhood, but in Christ, not in Adam, in Christ, the resurrection reality is our God, my God will supply all our needs. How about this one? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many of us need peace? How many of us would say our days, our hearts, our gut is marked more by fear and nervousness, stress and anxiety than a peace that transcends all understanding? So your felt reality is in Adam. But resurrection reality in Christ is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us. Purpose and meaning. We know our why. We know why we're here in Christ. Good works. Promise, potential, and hope. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. God has said yes to us in Christ. Therefore, through him we also say amen to the glory of God. How many of us have felt like life is a dead end? How many of us have got our hopes up just to get our hopes you know, dashed or let down? How, how many of us feel like the best is behind us, not ahead of us, right? But in Christ, what? Promises, potential, and hope that are yes aligned in him with the resurrection. And then how about this final one? For the wages of sin is death, in Adam death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that in Christ we can have eternal life.
So I just want to ask you, which reality are you, are you leaning into? Your felt, your perceived reality? The, reality? the world wants to push everybody in here into Adam. The world wants to keep us here. The world would lie to us and said hope and happiness is in here. But in Christ, in the resurrection reality, look at what we have. So I go back to my question, where are you right now? If you're ready to move from in Adam to in Christ, if you're ready to kick, quit, tick, kick, kick in the tires and go all in, full surrender, steering wheel of your life to Jesus, all the sins you have committed in Adam, put them on the cross with Christ, leave them behind and come over here. Right now, just say in your heart, yes, God, I surrender. Yes, God, I receive all you've done for me and all you want to give for me in Christ. Yes, God, I'm putting my faith in what you've done and who you are. As best I know how, God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming into Christ. I'm coming to inseparable love. I'm coming to become a new creation. I'm coming for eternal life, for forgiveness, for justification, for peace that passes all understanding. I'm coming because you're going to be my need meter and my great supplier. I'm coming for new life in Christ. If that's you, we need you to let us know. You can't keep the greatest decision you've ever made or ever will make quiet. So you use one of the next step cards. You, if you're online, you let uh, Mark or our pastor know. You have a conversation in the lobby after a church or something, but you let someone know that, hey, you've moved from in Adam to in Christ, and we praise God for that great decision. Greatest decision you can never make, you can ever, ever make. So after talking about the reality of being in Christ versus in Adam, then he talks about the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father and when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, that is against God and his reign. So all rule, all authority, and all power. We think about sin. We think about darkness. We think about evil. We think about corruption. We think about disease. We think about natural disaster. We think about everything that is not the way God originally planned it in Genesis 1. Jesus said he'll abolish all things aligned against the Father's kingdom. For he, Jesus, must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. God will defeat. God has defeated. Remember, Jesus is the first fruits, right? The first fruits from the dead, raised from the dead. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. With everything, when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to Him, so that God, God the Father, may be all in all, that God will be fully glorified, God will be fully worshiped, God will be fully in charge. God's reign will just, the extent of His reign will cover every aspect of His creation. We note that even in the Trinity, they're all equal in essence, but they're subordinate in some of their functions. That the Son subordinates Himself so the Father can be all in all. A beautiful display of, of submission and glory and honor within the Godhead. But what this points us to is another aspect of resurrection reality. The resurrection reality is this, that right now as I'm speaking, right now as you're listening, right now around the world, right now over the cosmos, Christ is reigning now, but he's reigning now to win. There's still a fight, but Jesus is the first fruits of the victory. There's still a fight, but Jesus is reigning right now to win. 
He's reigning right now to overcome. He's reigning right now to abolish. He's reigning right now to establish the all-in-all superiority and supremacy of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, we don't always feel that or perceive that, do we? That's resurrection reality. That may not be yours or my felt, felt reality or perceived reality. The fact of the matter is our felt reality can sometimes feel like God's not in charge, that God's not winning, that God's not going to win, that God is distant, detached, or maybe even non-existent. But let's understand why we perceive that or why we feel that. First is there are real enemies. There are real enemies arrayed against the kingdom of God. There's real enemies that are inside of us. We call that our sin nature or our flesh. There's real enemies in the world. You're dealing with some undoubtedly. I'm dealing with some undoubtedly. Sometimes we're just forgetful, and we forget the power and the sovereignty of the reign of God in Christ. We forget that Jesus didn't come just to be a teacher. Jesus didn't come just to be a savior. Jesus came to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is who he is now and forevermore. And then sometimes we're ignorant of the scope of his reign and the totality of his victory. The totality of his victory. So here's what that means. The last enemy, the word of God said, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So listen, no disease, no addiction, no demon, no bad habit, no greed, no pride, no vice, no weakness, no temper, no moodiness, no self-pity, no perversion will not be overcome, will not be defeated by Christ before his reign is fully finalized. So when we fight those things or deal with those things, we don't fight alone. We fight with the one who is the first fruits of the victory that is to come. That's the extent of Jesus' reign. So this means, listen, this means you and I are called to live with a holy defiance. Now, we can live with sinful defiance. The, 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 the feeling of just defying authority, the feeling of the teenager and just kind of telling your parents no and doing your own thing until you get caught or until they give you a consequence, right? We can live with a sinful defiance and like, man, I got away with something and, you know, I don't like the government anyway, right? But there's a holy defiance. The reign of Jesus calls us to live in right now as he reigns to win. And this holy defiance would look like this. We're going to refuse to submit to enticing temptations because we recognize they are schemes of the defeated enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. We're going to be defiant and refuse to succumb to the relativism of truth where we can just say, oh, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, but there's no true truth. But the resurrection actually happened, and the resurrection said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to defy the relativistic, pluralistic tidal wave that's going through our culture, and we'll stand as anchors on the firm reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to refuse to become discouraged because of suffering, of extreme poverty, of lostness. We're going to refuse to become discouraged because of darkness we see. Instead, we're going to go on the offensive in prayer, in living scent, in being salt and light because we fight from victory, not for victory. We fight following Jesus who leads us to victory. And then we're going to 
live with holy defiance because we're going to refuse to doubt God's goodness. When God doesn't give us what we want, the job, the deal, the relationship, when, when God permits something that we think he should have, that we think when he permits something that we think he should have prevented, we're going to not doubt his goodness. We're going to defy that doubt. We're going to defy such discouragement and such defeatism. And what we're going to do instead is we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at the empty tomb and we're going to say, God, I will never, ever doubt your love, your goodness, and your compassion, nor will I doubt your power to overcome and even abolish death, the greatest enemy we all face. And then Paul's going to move into another aspect of rever, rever, uh, resurrection reality. And to do so, he's going to bring up something that's kind of weird and difficult. But let's deal with it because it's in the text. And we're submitted to the text that's inspired by God. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? So apparently... There could have been like a, a, a carryover habit from culture where some Corinthians were being baptized like a proxy baptism for people who had died. And Paul's like, why? He's not, he's not saying this is the right way to do things. He's questioning. He's like, why would you do a, an empty religious ritual if there's no resurrection from the dead? This is just ritualistic or maybe this is cultural. It doesn't make any sense. But a true baptism, if you go to Romans 6, illustrates death. And resurrection. We go underwater. If we stayed there, we die. It symbolizes, hey, I'm dying to my old life. When we're raised out of the water, I'm raised to a new life in Christ. So Paul's like, hey, let's get baptism right. Let's understand it, right? And then he talks about his own life. He says, why are we in danger every hour? He goes, I face death every day. Paul, because he was a Christian, faced death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do to me? The implication is that maybe Paul was thrown in and, and had to fight off a beast because he was uh, arrested or something. If the dead are not raised, well, let's just go party it up, right? Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Let's just go hang out with people who are in Adam and do what they do because we don't have any hope past this life. But Paul says, no, no, come to your senses. What does this mean? If you tell someone to come to their senses and wake up, hey, pay attention to reality, resurrection, reality, and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God, ignorant about reality. And I say this to your shame. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, we can face death. We can live as people of high character and high morality, holy people, set apart people, because we're basically living as if earth is not our home. Because the resurrection reality is this. It is a guaranteed best is yet to come future. Now, if all you're doing and all I'm doing is looking at our life expectancy and looking at what this world has to offer. We can't say the best is yet to come because this world can take a lot from us, just like wild animals in Ephesus, right? But if we have aligned our hopes and our ambitions and our dreams with resurrection reality, then the best is yet to come. To say it another way, Solid hope for eternity fuels and impacts how we live today. 
Now, if we don't align with that and we just operate as if earth is our home and, and, and whatever the next 5, 10, 15, or 50 years has, that's kind of it, and we put all our eggs in that basket, then, then we're susceptible because we only have hope so hope. We don't have no so hope. You don't, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what happens in the end. Maybe I'll have Social Security. Maybe I'll get married by the time I'm 25. Maybe I'll make it to college. Maybe I'll have a night. I mean, we don't know. It's hope so hope, not no so hope. And so what we revert to is one of three things. Legalism, where we try to earn or deserve certain things, right? We can do it with God. Maybe that's what baptism from the dead was. It was an empty, religious, legalistic thing that, hey, if we do this, maybe God will come through, maybe not. I don't know. Or we just go to survival mode and just try to get through it. Or we just become indulgent and pursue temporary pleasures. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? Just world it up. But sometimes when we do this, we become enslaved by the very pleasures that we pursue. So Paul says, hey, resurrection reality is a guaranteed best is yet to come future. So let's go back to the beginning. Felt reality, perceived reality that we walked in here with. Let's face that reality. Let's put it back on the table like we talked about at the, beginning, at the top of this message. I'm, here's the way I'm looking at something in my life. Here's the way I'm looking at who I am. Here's the way I'm looking at my future. Here's the way I'm looking at my, my marriage. Or here's the way I'm looking at, at my career. Here's the way I'm looking at something, my felt reality. Some of you could attach emotions to that, unsure, uncertain. Some of you could attach the emotions of fear or worry or anxiety or stress. So let's do it. Don't hide it from God. Let's Don't hide it from God. Let's bring it out. Let's bring it out and, and, and open it up and put it on the table. But would we be willing to do something? Would we be willing to submit it to God? To reposition the way we're looking at it, the way we're feeling about it, the way we're thinking about it. The way we're perceiving it, would we reposition it under the empty tomb of Jesus? Would we reposition it under the reign of Christ and say, God, I submit it to you. I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to insist that my way is the right way or the way I'm seeing it, the way I'm feeling it, the way I'm thinking about it is correct. I'm going to lean not on my own understanding, but I'm going to trust in you with all my heart and know you'll direct my paths. Third, let's speak resurrection reality. Let's speak resurrection reality. Let's speak that we are a new creation. Let's speak that we have a hope that does not disappoint. Let's speak the blessing of being saved, of being chosen, of being accepted, of being adopted. Let's say to ourselves, I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am not what I have done. I am not what I do. I am not what they say about me. I'm not what I have. I am who God says I am. I have a hope past this life. I have a hope past this grade. Let's Speak, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner, and know that by the blood of Jesus, he forgives me, so I do not have to live in guilt and shame. Let's speak resurrection reality, and then let's step forward in accordance with that reality and do the next thing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you eyes to see and the faith to seize, because reality, for the Christ follower, those of us in Christ is defined by, determined by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The best is yet to come. Let's bow and pray. God, I thank you for your word to us today.
God is there's there's a myriad of perspectives and vantage points and a lot of things that we're all facing dealing with a lot of ways we're looking at things God we're bringing all that putting it under the empty inside the empty tomb under the reign of Jesus and asking God your resurrection to shape to inform how we look at this how we see this how we think about this how we feel about this And God, we want to live in, step in, walk forward in resurrection reality. Because if we are born again, we are in Christ, inseparable love with an invincible future. God, I pray for those that you have revealed to them they are in Adam. They have no hope past this life. They are still in their sins. They are not adopted by you. They cannot call themselves your son or daughter. But they hear your spirit speaking to them right now. They hear and see that on the cross you said yes to them. And by faith they're now going to say yes to you. And they're going to cross over the rugged cross, the bloody cross, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's now their Savior. He's their Lord and King, and He's the first fruits of what is to come. And they're moving over now into Christ. God, I thank you for salvation today. I thank you for life change and for eternity change today. I thank you for transformational knowing of what it means to be defined by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I thank you, God, for the stupendous, magnificent reality of being in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.